Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. The rest of us caught on, so it's a great day for us to be reminded of the power of God at work in us and through the church. A few years ago, Angela Kay and I bought a car, and the car has a backup camera on it, and it took some time getting used to, but it ruined me. I was um, renting a car recently, and, and I couldn't even back up in the car because I didn't have the backup camera. Um, it seems like backing up in that car is so laborious. I have to turn around, and, you know, I enjoy having my car, which has a reverse mirror on it, a reverse screen, and it helps me play a video game while I'm backing my car out of my driveway, keeping the car in the lines. You know, we think about going in reverse as something that is a bad thing, but God throughout all of scripture has been teaching us a story of reversals. Story after story includes the reversing of what is to what should be. In Genesis 3, we see our first parents fell, but quickly a plan was set in motion to reverse this catastrophe. All over the Bible, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are actively reversing the things of this world towards change. The outcasts are welcome. The lowly are lifted up. The weak are made strong, the first are last, and the dead are raised. Theologians sometimes call attention to this reversal at work, and they say it's a theology of reversal in the scriptures, and it's most central to the biblical story. And we're reading in Genesis this morning in the book of Acts, and of course the gospel will tie all of them in. We see in Genesis at this time a world dominated by power brokers who wield it cruelly, but God takes on our nature and becomes a weak, helpless baby. At the heart of the biblical narrative is the story of reversing. In the Hebrew understanding, even the Messiah was proclaimed to be one who would come and reverse the effect of evil, Tiklan Olam. It's why we sitting here long for better things in this world. We know things ought not to be this way, and our hearts long for things to be right and good and pure. We long for the reversal of what is to what shall be. The gospel writer Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, has a favorite theme, and you can guess throughout his whole gospel, it's reversal. It's the turning of the world upside down. In parable after parable, we see great activity of this reversal. It is religious leaders who are not the heroes of the story, but sinful people who don't deserve God's grace. We also see economic reversals. The poor are exalted. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, 
and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Consistent in the Gospel of Luke, we see a great reversal of very familiar stories happening before our eyes and now this morning our ears. In our Old Testament lesson, the great division and separation of humanity started in Genesis chapter 11. In our old story, this ancient story, our forebears decided something they thought brilliant. According to Genesis Nimrod, which is now a derogatory name for an unintelligent person, sought to build a tower as we hear it. But in its historical and linguistic context, the design is a ziggurat, which you can see on the screen. You see, ancient peoples always had this idea intuitively and instinctively in them that temples needed to be designed to worship the gods. But a ziggurat is not a temple. In fact, it usually appears right beside a temple. A ziggurat is an ancient executive elevator where the people would beckon God or the gods to come down to them. And so Nimrod, knowing this, builds a tower, and the tower is an attempt to bribe their gods to show them favor and to make their name great. Many ancient scholars call this area Shinar, the cradle of ancient civilization. Remember, the reason for this is that we lost the sense of sacredness in the fall. So all of us long for the divine to be near. Some of us try to manipulate it, as we see in this story. And yet God does not come down, but he scatters their unified initiative. He expels the people and begins the process of deunification. And he uses languages and ethnicities to divide the people on purpose. Why? Because God has a greater plan. And it is in this plan that we see the beginning of tribes, tongues, people, and nations. They were together as one group, and then they were scattered and became many, and many differentiated groups. In Genesis 12, God begins his initiative reversal. He is establishing his presence, his sacred space, not primarily through the hands of people who build structures, but in the hearts of men, women, and children. Genesis 12, he calls Abram and he makes promises to him. And in contrast to Genesis chapter 11, he says, Abram, your name will be great not because of what you build or what you do, but because of who you believe in. Because of Abraham's faith, God resides in him and his people. He is with them. And Abraham's offspring becomes the chosen people who experience the nearness of God, including with the arrival of the promised Messiah. And this is the background that brings us to today. What was scattered in Genesis chapter 11 is being reversed in Acts chapter 2. Listen to the languages that were present. The people groups, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, 
residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to the Jewish faith, Cretans and Arabs. Implicit in this list is that all the known and divided and scattered people groups of the world are present in Jerusalem for this special event of Pentecost. It wasn't every group, but it's representative of all the peoples of the world. And God does something amazing in Jerusalem this day. He pours out his Holy Spirit upon them. Because God's plan for all the nations is that they would be one unified worshiping family. Some even call this event, as Drew mentioned at the beginning, the birth of the church. So this morning we have baptisms, and so our sermon is a little shorter. That's to your blessing. Um, but I want to pull out for us three really key things out of Acts chapter 2. First, the disciples who were behind locked doors reversed course, and in this story, they are waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. So prior to this, the disciples who had experienced the resurrection were afraid. They locked themselves in an upper room. They were scared that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And Jesus comes to them and teaches them for 40 days. And he tells them in Acts chapter 8, verse, chapter 1, verse 8, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit who will come upon you, you will be my witnesses in all of the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the four corners of the world. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will be made my witness in this world. They went from being fearful people to being bold people, not arrogant, not obnoxious, but not fearful. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we experience power. Now, it's disputed the levels and the uh, um, in, impact of that power, but listen to what Paul tells Timothy. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. The word there in Greek is the word that we would translate sober, sound judgment, the ability to think and live rightly, the ability to love deeply, the ability to walk in the power of the spirit, the ability to have the spirit indwell and inform how we live and how we relate to one another into the world. Let's consider those words again, power, not might or prestige, but ability. The ability to live your life for Christ. You see, fear paralyzes us from that. Fear causes us to put everything on hold and to say the worst can happen to me. But the power of the Spirit allows you to live a life surrendered to God, come what may. Simply put, these disciples completely reverse course from being afraid to laying down their life. It's really easy to live paralyzed by fear. 
I think all of us probably read a lot of news last year. And as I read news, I got more and more fearful and afraid. What's going to happen? And the best thing that happened to me was I turned the news off. Not because I don't want to be informed, but because I don't want to live in fear. And that's what the Spirit does. Are you living a fearful life? Second, the division of languages and human groups was reversed with this coming. What was scattered and divided and created enmity between groups was reversed here in Acts such that there's now one family, one humanity. And it's expressed, and Jason did this so well a few weeks ago, in Jews and Gentiles, one family together, God making one out of what was already divided how we need to hear this message again in these days. God isn't interested in favoritism of groups or ethnicities or tribes or languages. He wants one people group. And so the division that we see in the world and has been experienced from even ancient times is being made new. The manifest work of God is to gift his presence to his people. And we receive that gift by waiting by faith. And the miracle of Pentecost was both the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit given to his disciples, as well as the unity and multi-ethnicity that occurred. Everyone could understand in their mother language the gospel. Did you know there are 7,000 languages spoken in this world? To date, half of them have translations of the gospel and or the whole Bible, 3,500 languages. If you charted the growth of that, you'd see an exponential growth. What's happened in the last 30 years is a absolute multiplication of the story of Jesus into the languages, the heart languages of many, many people around the world. But there's still 3,500 languages to go. Isn't that staggering? And the translation rate is continuing to grow exponentially in just a few short years, some say 20 to 30 years. Every language group in the world will have a translation of the Bible, either in written or oral form. What an amazing thought. God's reversing what was done in Genesis chapter 11 to make every tribe, tongue, people, and nation hear the gospel such that every knee will bow and every tongue one day will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has been patiently undoing the scattering of Babel with the work of Pentecost. That brings me to my third point, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to bring reversal to our world. You see, it's very easy to talk about this in conceptual form. Look what's happened in the world or look what's happened in history. But the point of Pentecost is let's talk about what's happening in you today. The work of the Holy Spirit is to seal us. You'll hear this in a minute at baptism. This great passage again from Paul, he says, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, 
who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. A deposit has been made on you and in you by the Spirit to say, you belong to God. You may think you belong to yourself and you'll spend a lifetime trying, but because of the work of the Spirit, you belong to God, to the praise of his glory. And the seal of the Holy Spirit serves as a mark that we truly belong to Christ. Romans 8, 9, and 10 says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This is the ultimate and thorough work of Pentecost. Pentecost, as Drew mentioned, happened year after year. It was outlined in Leviticus. So the, the Jewish people, the, the nation of God, Israel, had been upholding Pentecost for centuries. Year after year for Israel, Pentecost was celebrated. But this time, Pentecost happened in Israel. This time, Pentecost became personal. This time, they went about changing the world. This time, the promises of God became real and powerful to them. And it was so powerful that Luke says it this way, all of them were filled with God's Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, just a sign to see a glimpse of God's power that they could understand the gospel in their own languages and hear it perfectly and clearly, just like we did this morning. God's presence was no longer far off or something to hope for, but something very near. And that encounter with the Holy Spirit launched them out in tremendous energy. Now, for many years of my Christian life, I placed a lot of the belief that I had just cognitively. I believe these things to be true. I studied them. I have a degree. I spent money to get excellence, supposedly, in theology. But I would say it wasn't as personal to me. It was head knowledge. I could defend it. I could articulate it. But I didn't necessarily experience it or live it. And I would have been a person to say this Holy Spirit stuff is mumbo jumbo and we need the sound teaching of the word. And I still believe we need the sound teaching of the word. But a few years ago, I went up for prayer at a church conference. And the person praying asked me this really simple question. Alan, what would you like Jesus to do for you? And I said, and I meant this. I would like to experience more of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
and he started praying. And my eyes rolled in the back of my head, my knees buckled, and I went dark. And the next thing I know, I'm on the floor. Now, I know some of you are going to think, Alan, that's really crazy story. Well, I promise you, you can ask Drew, I'm not given to emotional drama. So here I am with everything in me theologically that says this doesn't happen, laying on the floor. And all I could feel was this sense of great love, like waves on the ocean hitting me, just splashing against me. And it was singularly the most powerful mystical experience I've ever had. And it changed me to see that my faith wasn't just in my head, but it was the power of the spirit working in me. Now, I don't also want to communicate that should be the experience all of us should have. God encounters us in different ways, but that was my experience. I'd been a Christian for years, but now my faith wasn't just in my head, but it was in my heart and my experience. I pray often in the morning now, Lord, fill me again with your spirit today. Give me the power, that same kind of power, to help me live my day today in a way that brings you honor and glory. Give me the grace to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. This powerful experience didn't make the Christian faith more true. It made me more true. And of all the sudden, my desire to serve Christ grew. My confidence in the gospel grew. My love for the scriptures grew. My love for the church, as broken and dysfunctional as she is, grew. My ability to walk in love as Christ has loved me grew. So this morning, I want to leave us with this question. It's Pentecost, which we're celebrating today, and it happened in Israel. God reversed everything. The church exploded. But has Pentecost happened in you? For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So we ask the Lord this morning, come and fill us. Come and meet us so we know your power and your glory. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit. You tell us that you are not leaving us alone, that you're sending the Spirit to fill us, to convict us, to guide us, and to guard us. You have marked us as Christ's own. We are yours by faith. And so we ask you, to give us that gift again and again, that we may live in a way that brings you honor and glory, that we may know what it means to be your children, to be your disciples. We may not walk in fear in this world, but in power, in love, and of sound judgment. And all the things that we've experienced in this lifetime, the trauma, the disappointment, the pain, those things of evil that have come against us, 
we pray by your spirit, you would reverse them, that we may be people who walk in victory and in truth and in health. And we ask this, we beg for this gift in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.